Welcome to the Hoops and Huddle podcast. I am Malika and joined by Brandon, who is the rubric. He loves looking at the business side of sports. So we'll get into both of them. We'll get into some talking about um, the Houston Rockets team and get into that detail. But we'll also look at the business side of the Rockets. And uh, we are joined today by my boy E.K. Johnson, who Coalition Hoops, who loves him, some Rockets. He's extremely excited about the new season, about some of the moves that are being made, about his new coach, Ime Udoka. So um, why don't you say hi to the people and introduce yourself where they can find you, and we'll dive right into the conversation. Thank you so much, Malika and Brandon, for having me once again. I've been on once before. Uh, back in March, we were talking about March Madness. A lot has happened since that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for any new listeners, uh, my name is E.K. Johnson. Uh, I run and I founded uh, the Coalition Hoops platform. You can find me on Twitter at Coalition Hoops. You can find me on IG, Instagram for people who don't understand lingo, at Coalition.Hoops on IG. Um, and I am a huge Houston Rockets fan. However, I try to be super objective with all things basketball. Um, but I will preface any comments uh, during our conversation or for the people listening on any of my social media platforms. Um, I will say, before I say something that's extremely subjective uh, in favor of the Houston Rockets, I will let it be known I'm a Houston Rockets fan. So people understand that, you know, there's a, there's a distinction there. Like, you know, okay. when it comes to the Houston Rockets, I can be objective, but there are some times where the fandom gets kind of kicks in and... Uh, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I may say some things that may rub people the wrong way, but that's okay. That's what fandom is. So oh, that's all good. That's all good. We love those hot takes. Real quick, uh, the Oop Coalition. For those that didn't listen to the previous show or they're not familiar with you, just a quick tidbit about what that is, what you cover, what your area of expertise is, just so people know what they can search for and expect to see on your platform. Yeah. So typically, what I do is uh, I cover men's basketball, women's basketball, men's college, and women's college. Um, So that pretty much covers the entire calendar year. Now, basketball fans, we tend to look at seasons, you know, typically from like an NBA perspective. So we're talking October to like, you know, June, uh, right? But because I cover WNBA extensively and because I also cover women's basketball, men's basketball, men's and women's college extensively, I pretty much cover the entire calendar year. So on my platform, I do a lot of uh, film breakdowns, uh, highlight breakdowns, things of that nature. Uh, I try to do a lot of player profiles um, um, and things of that nature, like aggregate uh, data, uh, stat collection, um, things of that nature, you know, trying to um, uh, highlight trends from certain players that may not necessarily get a lot of love. Uh, Now, I do focus on a lot of star players as well. Um, but um, typically, if I see a player that's been doing well for maybe 10 games, playing above their means for 10 games, I'll try to highlight them. Um, and I also try to bring out fun facts about um, WNBA players, NBA players, college players on the women's and men's side. And I do that throughout the uh, throughout the respective seasons. Um, and that's typically, you know, what you can expect from me um, as of now. Um, we are growing. We are continuing to expand. So as we expand, we're going to try to, um, well, not try, we are going to implement a podcast platform where, where, where we will cover um, the respective uh, uh, areas of basketball, uh, depending on what season we're in. 
Uh, so we're looking to start uh, in October uh, in preparation for this new NBA season. So be on the lookout for those announcements because they will be coming shortly. Awesome. We'll be looking for them. We'll be looking for them. Thank you, guys. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Um, we're going to get right into it. We're going to start off this time a little differently than how we usually do. We're going to start off talking about the roster. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, let's start off with coaching. I'd rather start off with coaching because Emei Udoka being hired was a really big swing for the Houston Rockets. Um, getting a coach like with, you know, like with Emei Udoka's caliber, considering his the history um, of him losing his um, position with the Celtics because yeah. of the we are we all know what happened there yeah um kind of because we never got the full details but we <laughs> got some details exactly. um, not to rehash that um he's in Houston now fresh start yep. um and it was Udoka from what I read that um basically let the ownership and front office know that to the for the team that he's looking and thinks will be a best fit for Houston at this time, the roster they have, that maybe James Harden wasn't exactly a fit for the team. Um, so what are your thoughts on Udoka and the coaching staff he's building and on his move regarding not wanting to sign James Harden back in Houston? Well, first off, I I I love the hire. Um, so throughout the regular season, when all of us knew Stephen Silas and God bless Stephen Silas, I wish him nothing but the best. Um, but we all knew I that think his he time was set up for failure, though. To be yeah, I, I agree with you. I totally agree with you. Um, but everybody knew the writing was on the wall that he was going to be gone. So before Emi Udoka's name came up, a lot of people were thinking it was going to be Nick Nurse, myself included. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Which I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have uh, sneezed that either because I love Nick Nurse as a coach. But then when Emi Udoka came up. Um, and pretty much right when his name sort of hit the hit the wire uh, as far as potential, you know, coaching hires, um, Houston pretty much we sort of swept, swept in and uh, pretty much uh, locked that down right away. There weren't really a lot of there weren't really any other teams that were really in real contention to get him. And I know a lot of that had to do with the fact that he desired to come to Houston. Uh, now, a lot of people can say maybe it's because of the fact that he was desperate. Maybe other teams didn't want to take a chance on him. I'm not going to necessarily agree with that because when you look at what we've been able to do since we've been able to get him and what we had when he first got hired, um, we had Jalen Green already. And we had Alperen Sengun. Those are the two cornerstones of the franchise. We had Jabari Smith. We had Tari Eason, right? We hadn't yet gotten all the free agents and all the guys that we ended up getting, but I think he saw something there. And he was like, listen, I can work with a Jalen Green who's an explosive scorer. I can work with the Alperin Sengun, who a lot of people refer to as Baby Jokic, for good reason. If you, uh, if anybody has been paying attention to to, to, to the FIBA play, yeah, you know Alperin Sengun plays for Turkey. He's been playing amazingly well. He's been playing really well. But FIBA rules are different than NBA rules, but he has been playing well. Very true. Tell that to Lloyd Markinen, because Lloyd Markinen, he was he he was cooking in fever last year as well, and people didn't think it would transfer. And then over, he entered and the he season up, doing his thing. Right. He became an all-star. Right. So I'm just saying it could happen. You know, I know the rules are a little different, but it could happen. Right. So I think Ime Udoka saw those two cornerstones and he was like, listen, he had success in Boston when he had two cornerstones and Jalen, uh Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. Not quite the same. 
but as far as being able to be moldable and being able to um, uh, be coached in a way that allows them to shine on offense and also on defense, especially on defense, I think that's going to be a key for us. And obviously with our new additions, I think that just really accentuates that point of wanting to get better offensively, knowing that we have a good offensive base, but bringing guys along, veteran guys who are willing to play both sides of the floor. I think that's going to uh, contribute to our success. That's not something a lot of people would have seen when he first got hired, but I think he sort of saw a vision of what uh, of what this team could be, especially with the financial situation that we were in, with all the cap space that we had, all the uh, uh, you know all of the uh, abilities to be able to make a lot of moves as far as business and contracts and things of that nature to bring in quality guys while still being under the cap relatively. So, yeah, so I, I love the uh, I love the coaching staff, you know, and you got to understand, we got Ben Sullivan, Royal Ivy, Garrett Jackson, Tiago Split, who played in the NBA, Cam Hodges and Mike Moser. All these guys are really, really good basketball minds, especially for young players. So I think it's going to be really good for us. What do you think uh, that means for the level of leeway or um, free will that Ime Udoka has under this leadership, under this ownership group. Uh, do you think he has a little bit more control than he would have had otherwise? What does this mean for how he shapes the direction of the team? Because I think they have, they're at an inflection point in my mind, like where they can really hit the next level. Uh, but I think leadership is a big part of that. How do you see it? Uh, you know, that relationship going between the front office and himself. I think the front office and the coaching staff, I think they're going to get along great. You know, I think Raphael Stone has shown that he wants to build a winner. Um, I think he, 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 he showed some of those qualities during, you know, James Harden's, you know, last year leading up into that whole debacle where we had to bring in John Wall and you know, it, was just, it was just a mess. Uh, but I think he showed signs of wanting to build a winner, but I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that, you know, when you look at some of the offseason signings, right, electing not to bring James Harden back when it was very clear for the majority of the season last year that he wanted to come back to Houston, right? That was a real thing. It wasn't something that was um, just in the ether that people were just saying without any substantiated sort of evidence to it. Um, he wanted to come back. Uh, but I think the combination of Ime Udoka understanding the quality of trying to build a team from the ground up without necessarily having to plop a superstar that's going to demand a superstar's purse, right? That's the big that's the big thing, right? Okay. And I think Raphael Stone being lockstep with Ime Udoka, understanding that, listen, when you look at two of the past, well, not even two, three of the past four NBA champions, all of them have been homegrown talents. Stephen Curry last year, Obviously, Denver this year with Nicole Jokic and Jamal Murray. And then back in 2021, you had Milwaukee Bucks with Giannis Antetokounmpo, who was a homegrown talent, right? Three out of the last four championship teams have been homegrown guys to a homegrown talents, right? So I think the um, the whole super team thing and guys joining up, I think LeBron James really, <laughs> I don't want to blame him for this, but I think what he did was he painted a picture of, hey, listen, Let's just get a whole bunch of stars together. We can win a championship. But when you look at other people outside of LeBron James who have tried to come together and build super teams, it hasn't worked. Mm. Yeah, it, it, it hasn't worked. We can go down the line. 
I don't want to hit a sore spot for Malika, but obviously Brooklyn Nets is the most <laughs> recent example of that. Right, yeah. three of the best scores of the modern era. They get together. They, they can't stay healthy. Other things. Don't happen. remind me. Don't. Yeah, remind but me it just goes to show that Ime Udoka and Raphael Stone believe they want to build a team from the ground up. They want to build a team organically. They want to invest in player development, and the way you do that is being patient and okay. understanding that you have to get the most out of the talent that you have. And I think that's why. Um, you know, now there's another dynamic that's there. I definitely hear you on the super teams, but there's a trend in the super teams. And you typically see that with more veteran players. And mm -hmm. that always has happened in the history of time. So as guys get later in their career, for any option they can to go win a chip, uh, yeah. if they get that opportunity early in life. So I definitely get why it happens. I don't think that's going to change, especially for guys that don't win chips. Insert Damian Lillard right now. Like, cats are like... <laughs> <laughs> I ain't coming to me. I ain't growing no team at 33 years old. So I get it. Exactly. Uh, Fred Van Vliet, yep. uh, Jeff Green, yep. and uh, Dylan Brooks. Yep. Who makes the call? And what did they see to get those players? And what are those new additions going to do for the team? Uh, so I think with the Fred Van Vliet thing, um, he was a guy that once free agency started, uh, because the free agent pool was sort of thin and, and a lot of the big fish had already signed, uh, re-signed with their teams, uh, he was one of the guys that was out there. I, I think originally a lot of people, uh, they were thinking that he was either going to stay with Toronto. I even heard Miami for a little bit. Um, but then when the Houston thing came up, it made the most sense. We could give him the 40 plus million that he wanted, right? Um, and also there's a, there's a need there, right? Because he is a point guard. Right, well, he's he's a point guard size, but he plays like a shooting guard. But he plays both ends of the floor, right? And that's what you need. And that's I think Ime Udoka looked at Fred Van Fleet, and he's like, "Listen, I could do something with him, right?" Because of the fact that not only can he create his own shot out of a high screen and roll situation, isolation situation, he can score at all three levels. He's a willing defender. And then you pair him with a guy like Dylan Brooks, who. I was kind of vocal about it when Dylan Brooks, when the whole debacle happened in the playoffs and all that stuff happened. I was very vocal that, hey, listen, with our immature team, don't bring Dylan Brooks, Brooks around here, right? If we're going to bring Dylan Brooks in, we got to bring some veterans other than him in order to sort of level him off. And I think Fred Van Vliet and the addition of uh, Jeff Green and also Aaron Holiday, who's also a veteran as well, I think that's going to allow Dylan Brooks to not be so outlandish with his own. Um, antics and he'll be able to focus in more right just on what he does well which is being an on-ball defender right so i think Ime udoka definitely made that call when they saw fred van vliet uh, out there looking for a deal and it fit the financials of our team of the rockets yeah. um i think he looked at that and was like yeah we got to bring him in because he's a good influence he works hard he's the guy that was went from being a g league undrafted guy to being an all-star Okay. Right, getting a multi-year deal. And that doesn't happen overnight. That doesn't happen by happenstance. That happens with hard work and dedication. And if you see some of the things that he's been able to do with Jalen Green in the offseason, as soon as he gets signed, what does he do? He doesn't throw a party. He doesn't celebrate himself for a month. He goes out to Vegas. He's like, Jalen Green, come with me. We're working out. And that's all they've been doing all offseason. So the positive influence is already rubbing off. And the fact is, he's an NBA champion. Okay. So he has okay. that experience as well. Because we had a conversation with folks from the Toronto Raptors, Malika, and mm -hmm. some of the some of the thinking from the from the Raptors fans was his 
inability to take that I'm the guy role with yep. And he walked in here and and took that and like owned it. I don't see him being that guy here under Jalen with Jalen Green there. So that's what I wonder, like, how does that work? I get well, their play styles are kind of complimentary. Yeah. Their play styles can be complimentary when you when you okay. really think about it, because Jalen Green has the ability to play off ball. And I think he's going to be more off ball this year. Um, mainly because of the fact that Fred Van Vliet is going to be controlling the offense, right? We didn't have a true point guard. He's the closest thing we have to a true point guard, but most importantly, he's a two-way guard, right? So we can guard on the other end. Jalen Green hasn't gotten that in this game yet. And because he's so athletic, he can be so lethal once he learns to play off the ball, right? Mm -hmm. Understanding cutting lanes, cutting behind the defense, right? On tr in transition, he can get his points in, in so many ways that Fred Van Vliet can't. So Fred Van Vliet needs to have the ball in his hands, but I okay. feel like Jalen Green will be great off the ball, especially now because he's so athletic and can finish above everybody. Okay. I think it's great that um, he's already, he came in to the, he came to the team already um, working with Jalen Green and, and and making that a priority because he understands they need that chemistry on the floor. They need to get a rhythm together at least to get a feel for each other. Cause at first, you know, right now, yeah, working out together, okay. But when the season starts and that ball tips off, you know what I mean? And they're, they're facing opponents, that is when they're really gonna be working on their timing and everything for real. Exactly. Um, and Dylan Brooks, I mean, I thought he got way too much negative publicity. You know what I mean? Like part of it was his fault. Because, <laughs> you know, part of it was his fault, but I was, I have to admit, his his contract, I was like, okay, that's that's a lot, you know, 20 million, 20 million a season, 20 million a season yeah. um, but you guys are still below the second apron. Yeah. Um, you're at, you guys, it looks like you're at 152. Yeah, well, 152, yeah. Um, so that still gives you guys some room um, to make some moves, but... I really love your rookie, Cam Whitmore. I'm a huge, I was livid that he was selected <laughs> right before the Nets had um, their pick. I was like, okay, he's still there. He's still there. Oh my God, can he move up? Can Sean Marks move up? Move up, <laughs> damn it. Like we, you know, like Cam Whitmore is literally right there. I wanted uh, to jump through the screen and kill him, but you still have Jabari Smith. Yeah. Um, on the roster who is a you know he's you know like he's coming into his own too so i wanted you to speak about jabari smith and just how you feel about him him and terry eason you know working with you know uncle jeff you know what i mean jeff green like i think that could be you know a good mentor for for him and also speak about uh, you know killer cam um, you know, like being on your team because he has a axe to grind right now. Yes, he does. And let me tell you something, Malik. I was watching the draft, and obviously mm -hmm. we all knew how like the first sort of four picks were gonna go. Yeah. And uh, and I wasn't surprised by that. But I had Cam Whitmore, and a lot of people have Cam Whitmore in their top eight. He was top eight to top ten projected, mm -hmm. right? So when he fell out of the top ten, I was extremely surprised. And then as he keeps falling. I'm like, we got a chance to get this guy, right? And I actually put out a tweet. I said, if we get Cam Whitmore, I'm gonna do a backflip off my deck. <laughs> and I let, and I didn't do a backflip off the deck because I'm not athletic anymore. However, I wanted to, and if I was five years younger, I probably would have done it. 
That's how excited I was. Um, but to speak on um, Jabari Smith and Tari, I mean, I mean, we all saw what Jabari Smith did in the first two games of summer. He was absolutely incredible. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that, you know, the thing that kind of did him in last year was I think Steven Silas really just stuck him in the corner or he stuck him on the wing and didn't allow him to showcase his ball handling abilities, his abilities to create space within the mid range, in the mid post, things of that nature. Um, and I think now he was able to show that, listen, I have the ability to play in between the margins, right? He can score at all three levels. He can he, he, he can do a dribble drive in isolation. You know, he can uh, do a one to two dribble pull up on either side of the uh, elbow, right? He can back down guys in the mid post and hit a post fadeaway, which is so important because he's so long and he's so tall. And uh, it's going to be rare that his shot is going to get blocked. So those things that he was showing in the summer league, uh, well, I think is going to translate greatly to this season. I think it's going to change a lot of where he was positioned last season. I think he made Doka saw that and say, okay, we may need to put the ball the, the ball in this guy's hands more. We may need to more, run more sets for him, right? Instead of just sticking him, sticking him in the corner and allowing maybe Jalen Green or Fred Van Vliet or Kevin Porter to handle the ball, let him handle the ball a little bit because he's shown he can do that. And Tari Eason is just awesome. I love his athletic ability. I love his effort on defense and offense. He's an improved offensive player. Um, I think he's going to be one of the toughest guards of any second unit in the NBA, simply because he's super athletic um, and he's a defensive dog. He gets after it, right? And he's also a very, very good offensive rebounder for his size, um, which obviously offensive rebounding, if you're able to corral enough of those, you can not only control the pace of the game, but you create extra opportunities and extra shots uh, for your team, right? So uh, I feel like, you know, both of those guys together, uh, they've been growing so well. And Cam Whitmore, I mean, he played the entire summer league. If we would have won the summer league championship, he wouldn't have been the MVP. Uh, well, I'm sorry. Well, he was the MVP. I'm sorry. Um, he, <laughs> he actually won it before the, the championship game, and we ended up losing it. But he played amazing during summer league. One of the things that people were asking about was his shot selection, his three-point shooting. His three-point shooting percentage-wise wasn't great, but his form is there. And the, and the technique is there. It's just a matter of getting the reps in to, you know, increase that percentage and increase the, increase the efficiency. And obviously he's super athletic, a defensive animal. I think he averaged like four steals a game in some league. It was ridiculous what he was doing defensively. Um, and I think you're right, Maliki, he does have an athlete, Brian, because for the life of me, I don't understand why he fell so, so far. People were saying maybe it was because of his affect he has, he has a very bland affect, his attitude, his interviews, things of that nature. And I'm just like, I don't like, know, I mean, I like he's more like a, uh, uh, if I look at someone that I can think of back in the day, could be maybe on Brandon Ingram. Type yeah, maybe like a brand. Yeah, like a brand, a guy who's just very, very. Or Tracy McGrady. Like he was just like, uh. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. he's all like when the when the clock comes, like he's ready, but he ain't yeah. getting you. <laughs> yeah. So I could understand why he was so frustrated because <laughs> you know, from what we saw from him in college, I mean obviously he was injured. He got injured halfway through his uh through his freshman year. But what we saw the first the first half of his uh, freshman season at Villanova, it, it was just amazing. He knew this guy was a first round pick, he has the body. He has the athleticism. He has the defensive tenacity. And he uh, and the one thing people were questioning was his shot. And his shot looks good. He, he, he didn't hit a lot of threes during summer league, but the mechanics look good. 
and that's something you can work on. So I'm very excited, super okay. excited. All right, uh, divisions don't matter as much in basketball, but just for shits and giggles, you got in the Southwest Division, you got Memphis, the Pelicans, the Mavs, and the Spurs, along with the Rockets. How do they stand up there in that group? And what do you think they do in the West, uh, in the Western Conference, just all up? So I think, so if we're talking about the Southwest Division, I think we will be better than the Spurs. Okay. And I think we will possibly be better than the Pelicans. I say possibly because I don't know what's going on with New Orleans. Um, if Zion plays 20 games, we're definitely going to be better than them. If Zion plays 50, we may not be. Uh, but that's not a guarantee. So I'm going to go and say that we'll probably be somewhere between three and four. I'm going to guess that we'll be third best in that division, um, in my opinion. Um, I know Dallas didn't necessarily have the best year last year, but they got Luka and Kyrie. I just don't see us making a significant jump over them, um, you know. So, yeah, so I feel like we'll probably be third in the Southwest Division. And as far as the um, the Western Conference, I haven't put together my official, uh, my official sort of standings and things of that nature. That's going to come probably 30 to 40 days out uh, uh, from the regular season. Uh, 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 premiere uh, or open at night rather um, but I'm pretty sure we're going to be we're going to linger around that 41 and 41 40 and 42 42 and 40 range and that will be good enough for us I believe to compete for a play-in spot okay in the west I think that'll be good enough for us to compete for a play-in spot I think our defense is going to be extremely improved I think our offensive efficiency is going to be better and I think our turnovers, that's the one thing that killed us last year and that kills a lot of young teams, mm -hmm. right? Turning the ball over. <laughs> exactly. And I think when you bring guys in like Jeff Green, Malika, like you said, now yeah. I'm from Maryland. I'm from PG County, Maryland. Jeff Green is from PG County, Maryland. I've been watching this dude play since he was at Northwestern High School. From Northwestern, Georgetown to the league. And for people who don't understand how good Jeff Green really was when he was younger, he was the archetype for uh, 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 a Jabari Smith or Atari Eason, that big wing who could do everything, okay. right? So I think having a guy like him, um, who's pretty much been through it all, he's seen it all, he's coming off of a championship, you know, it just makes all the sense in the world um, that I think our turnovers and just our overall shot selection is gonna be so much better. And in the game of basketball, that's what you need, right? You can't have wasted possessions. And a lot of young teams waste possessions, not because they want to, because they don't necessarily know, they don't understand situational basketball. They don't understand uh, two and one or, uh, or, or three and two, right? Like end of shot clock scenarios, end of the first quarter, end of the third quarter scenarios, trying to get a shot off, things of that nature that veteran guys who've been around winning cultures understand. So I think bridging that gap yep. is gonna, uh, increase our record uh, to the point where we compete for a playing spot. Okay, so you got Southwest Division. Another name for the Southwest Division is called West Group B. Does the Rocket, do the Rockets make it to Las Vegas in December? <gasps> and how you know do you what? feel about the playing tournament? I mean, they, they I'm trying to get excited about it, but how do you feel about it? How do you feel about it? I mean, Brandon's in Vegas, so yeah, I know he's excited. So his level of excitement's a little different. How do you feel about it? First official game in Vegas, so yep, I'm with it. 
I love it. Um, I love the inception of the in-season tournament. So remember, Malika, the NBA announced this without any details, like halfway through yeah. the regular season last yeah. year, right? So this yeah. has been out here, right? And so when they first announced it, I was like, I was kind of likening it to like the WNBA's Commissioner's Cup, kind of apropos mm -hmm. because, you know, the, the Liberty yeah, just wanted to get- Yeah, the WNBA is always the guinea pig. Yep. So the, so the, so the Liberty just won the Commissioner's Cup yesterday. It's kind of apropos we're talking about it. Uh, so I think it kind of creates a sense of uh, excitement for the game for those games in November and things of that nature. Although the excitement is still pretty up because by the time November hits, the season is maybe a month old and, you know, people are, you know, yeah. you still got the excitement of like some of the newer, uh, well, not newer guys, but some of the uh, guys who are maybe trying to have a breakout season and things of that nature. So you're looking out for that. But I think it just creates more parity, right? It creates more parity. Now, the one thing I will agree with a lot of fans, um, a lot of fans had issue with was the fact that the prize is $500,000, right? And because we think all NBA players make $30 million, we're looking at it and we're saying, oh, it doesn't matter, you know, $500,000, but that there's only one or two guys that are on max contracts for each team, right? Think about a guy like um, Alperin Sengun, who I believe is our most important player. He's making $5 million this year, yep. this year. So if we were to win a tournament, like 500,000 is a lot for him. It may not be a lot for Fred Van Vliet or one of these other guys who are on the max deal, but for over 65%, and I saw this, that over 65% of NBA players make between zero, $10 million a year. Yeah. So that 500,000 means something, right? And because these guys care about their money so much, you put money on the table, guess what's gonna happen? The level of play will be increased. The level of play will be higher. Right. I think there's another angle of it that I'm thinking about because uh, I feel you on that. Uh, so on the whole, 65% of all the players making that lower number makes sense. But when you're talking about the game, mm -hmm. the teams move in the direction of their stars. Mm -hmm. Their stars really do drive. Like if they're if LeBron ain't motivated, Lakers ain't motivated. Mm -hmm. If he ain't motivated, Devin Booker ain't motivated. The rest are like, forget the fact that everybody that they make lion's share of money, yeah. They have the attitude. So what I'm really looking at with this tournament is, like you said, younger the younger teams, mm -hmm. KC, uh, Houston Rockets, even Sacramento Kings to some extent, or teams that are in that middle tier. They're not quite like on the cusp of. I'm pretty sure I'm gonna be deep into the playoffs because mm -hmm. I think a lot of those teams are still gonna be like, no, nah, we're gonna value into the season over midseason, whereas the Rockets and OKC could be like, nah, we got something to play for. Yeah. Between November and December, mm -hmm. LeBron ain't gonna care. I don't think the Lakers gonna care. They're gonna be like, nah, we just trying to get to freaking April without. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I do see that happening. Yeah, uh, I agree. I don't see the Phoenix Suns caring about it. They're like, we don't care. Like, <laughs> yeah. Trying. It's more the younger guys on these teams. Like, you know, it's a, it's a chance for them to like, so I had a conversation with somebody earlier and he was like, you know what, it could be like, it's not going to be quite like that. But some of the veterans, like you have the Katie's and the Bookers and they're not going to, you know, for them it's, but for some of the younger guys, it's a chance for them to showcase their skill or for players that um, maybe, you know, at the mid-level and they want to show, you know, like you're going to have all these people there at the same time, maybe yep. show who they are a little bit.
So it would be interesting to see how um, how this how the how this this is the first year. So let's see what it does. But the timing of it um, being on being in that at that time of the year when football mm-hmm. season is fully in flex is is a chance for them to have something you know that for people to watch not on football days because the days this falls on are not football days exactly and, and you know like an international some some of the people I talk to internationally actually are very excited about the tournament because you guys there's a reason the, for that the soccer leagues and, and, mm-hmm. and, and all of that so to them this is exciting you yes, know it is. like so the u.s we're just sitting here like but for the you know internationally it's exciting so i think it's We'll see how it shapes over time, but for Las Vegas re- residents, I'm happy you guys get some basketball and <laughs> yeah, in, in your arena down there around that time. I think I think that's hot. We yeah, didn't man. touch on your rookie, your other rookie, Eamon Thompson yet. How do you how are you feeling about him? Like I you absolutely know, love one him. of the Thompson twins. Like I love I love Eamon Thompson, and yeah. unfortunately he got hurt first summer league game yep he did um he got hurt um but what i saw capable point guard skills from a guy who's six seven and a capable perimeter defender to be completely honest i don't care if i'm in thompson first rookie I, this rookie year i don't care if he doesn't average over 13 points per game i don't care what we need is a point guard a true point guard who has court vision very good decision making skills Mm-hmm. and a guy who can defend mm-hmm. he can do both he can also finish at the rim as well he's great in transition all of our young guys are pretty much great in transition so we're probably going to have one of the more explosive transition offenses um which is probably going to make us very exciting to watch for a lot of teams um but you yeah know, you guys are going to be one of my league pass teams for sure like, yeah we, we were supposed to be that last year we were supposed to be that last year yeah this year you indiana there's yeah. a few of you guys that are going to be um league pass teams for me oh yeah um you guys are one of them because i think it'll be interesting to see what you guys what you guys have coming really um, yeah I'm man and i cannot wait i can't wait to see what email is able to do with Ahmed. Over the yeah. o- o- over the o- over not only his rookie year but over the next couple of years with him, just because you can tell he really really likes and he thrives coaching big long guards who can defend. Right, mm-hmm. Jason Tatum became a better defender because of Ime Udoka. Yeah, right. Yeah. Before he became a lot. I think yeah. about Ime this year as well, uh, like his true value as a coach. His ability mm-hmm. to get the guys together because you could have arguments on either side for or against his level of impact with the Celtics. Mm-hmm. Was it more about the talent? Was it more around his coaching? Mm-hmm. And, and now you're you're going to be able to tell, like if he can pull these guys in mm-hmm. and get them green to the next level, get Fred Van Vee in flow, mm-hmm. uh, get Dylan Brooks. Yeah, I think <laughs> I think he'll get him under control. I think he'll be able to get them under yeah, control. Yeah, you're going to mm-hmm. see you're going to see his stock go up a lot. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, is there anyone else on the roster we haven't specifically called out that you wanted to emphasize? Maybe some players we haven't mentioned that maybe coming off the bench, some starters we haven't. Is there anybody we haven't discussed that you want to kind of call out and you know give them some love? Uh, Kevin Porter Jr. Um, okay. Yep. Yep. Kevin Porter Jr. Yep. is absolutely he's amazing, man. I mean, I uh, mm-hmm. 
I think he was on the Blazers of, at one point, and um, yeah, he has an interesting history. So yeah, he is amazing, and I think mm-hmm. you know because we ended up getting him from Cleveland. Yeah, because um, he yeah he uh, yeah 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 you ended up getting him from Cleveland, and immediately when I saw him, I was like, this guy's a guy. If he's a, if he's around the right coach, because you can tell the raw talent is there, but he just needs the right coach to be able to develop him in the right way. Yeah. He has very good point guard skills. He can play off the ball. He can score at all three levels. Um, he's not the best defender, but he's very good in passing lanes. And he can pick pockets, right? So he's not going to lock somebody down for like for like maybe like a, like three minutes or four minutes. He's a very good help side defender. And uh, I think the thing about him is that you know he plays with such a great energy. Um, and it's very, very contagious. You know, last year, even though we struggled like crazy last year, there were games where, you know, he was definitely the guy who was starting um, uh, a lot of the offensive uh, sort of flow for our team. He was sort of the fulcrum of the offense at times because we didn't have a true point guard. Um, and I think his maturity level really, really went up last year because of the fact that we were in a situation where he was depended upon, even though we were losing a lot. And being a young guy, but being the oldest amongst the young guys in a young environment, right? It pushes you to either sort of wilt or to sort of uh, be be a better leader. And I think Kevin Porter grew a lot, not only in his game, but also in the maturity level. And now when you're bringing in older guys that he can learn from, I think it's gonna allow him to sort of uh, absorb a lot of the information that Fred Van Vliet, Dylan Brooks, you know, Jeff Green, they're going to be able to give him that's going to allow him to be a better player for us. I think he's going to be our sixth man coming off the bench. We'll have to see how the we'll have to see how it goes during training camp. But mm-hmm. my um, I would love to see him come off our bench because as a second unit guy who has the ability to score as a first unit guy, it's going to be tough for a lot of second units to contain uh, uh, around the league, to contain him and Tari Eason both coming off the bench. Um, you know, I think it's going to be really, really tough. So that's the guy I want to give a lot of love to. Uh, Houston Rockets fans love Kevin. We all love Kevin Porter Jr. We love, 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 love him. So got to give a shout out to him. He's dope. And just real quick, I confused um, Blazers with Cleveland. So, um, yeah, I just want to own up to that. Go ahead and ask your question, and then we'll roll to the owners, and then we'll get to your favorite lineup, your favorite year of the Rockets all time. That's usually what we – that's what I've been starting to close out with. I think uh, the Rockets are going to benefit from the in-season tournament this year. Yeah. Not necessarily – have a lot of hope into this in-season tournament. I can't wait no, to no, see no. it. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that has anything to do with the season tournament itself because they're playing in their division more frequently at the first half of the season. That's good. Mm. That's a good point. Right. Yeah. Because yeah. of that, because they're going to play yeah. the majority of the games in their own division. Yep. You're talking about a Memphis team that doesn't have John Morant. You're talking about a Pelicans team, like you said, that doesn't have, that may or may not have Zion. May or may not have Zion. Yeah, it's very true. I think very true. Like Dallas might be the biggest threat. And so they're going to play the majority of their games between November 4th and December 9th against their core division, mm-hmm. I think it works well for their full season projection to have a really strong coming out party. Well, I would hope so, Brandon. Um, like I said, a lot of it has to do with the fact, because, you know, 
we have an extremely – I think we have the most upside out of most teams in our division just because we're so young and we have a lot of talent. And we still have so much financial uh, sort of flexibility to make another big move if we need to. Okay. Uh, but for this year in particular, um, while I agree with your point, I just feel like I need to see it first. Right. Got I, it. I, like, I need to see it. Right. <laughs> we got a new coach, a new system, and this team is still very young. I got to see it, you know. Because at the end of the day, it could either go one or two ways. And this is on a night-to-night basis. We can have nights where we're competing against the Denver Nuggets and we end up beating the Denver Nuggets one night. And then we'll have nights where we go on the road, right? And we play, uh, let's see, the Orlando Magic, right? And we struggle, right? That's the the comeuppance (laughs) of a young team on the come-up. You're going to have nights like that. Yeah. Right. So I just have to see how the offense sort of flows, especially on defense, how we're able to communicate on defense, how we take care of the ball. Okay. Then I will be able to make a better assessment okay. of how we'll be able to do in the in season tournament. My hope is that we're able to pretty much beat up on our own division and we're able to qualify for Vegas play. However, yeah. I got to see it first. As a fan, I got to protect my mental and I got to protect my my feelings. So I can't get my hopes up too much when it comes to that. That works. Let's move forward. Um, I wanted you to get, you can sprinkle any comments you want to make on your ownership, um, how you feel about your ownership group. Um, You know, that through the moves they made with hiring me, you made Yodoka and, you know, sticking with their, you know, in their front office, you know, mm-hmm. supporting their front office. Are you happy with them? Yeah. How, or, you know, how you feel about them? I love the ownership group. Uh, I love the ownership group because I love um, Raphael Stone. Bringing Raphael Stone in allowed us to have the abil- have the have the ability to say, hey, listen, we, we have a GM now who's about mm-hmm. winning, mm-hmm. right? Who's about building uh, a team from the ground up who believes in player development. Mm-hmm. Right. And then you you empower him to say, OK, get the coach you want to get. Mm-hmm. And then he points out Ime Udoka, who has that same sort of mentality. So I think it just creates a very, very good streamlined one way thinking approach of yeah. how we're going to build this team. Mm-hmm. But one thing you don't want, right, as a fan is you don't want ownership groups who either are so far removed from the product, they can care less about it, or they're so they're so into micromanaging the front office and the GMs and the coaching decisions and everything like that. Exactly, right? And then it it sort of muddles the decision-making in a way. And because they're owners, they may or may not really know much about basketball, right? Yeah. Um, You know, so that's that's the risk that you run. Um, But I think our ownership group has done an amazing job. And um, and I think it's going to be it's going gonna, it's gonna to show in the way we approach the game this year. That doesn't mean we're going to make a deep run with a championship this year, nothing like that. But I think the professionalism and the streamlined, concrete, one-thinking approach of how we approach the game from the ownership group all the way down to the play on the, uh, on the court is going to be emblematic of that. And I think you're going to see great improvements uh, because of that. Yeah. I love the fact that they... One, I, I'm always looking at these teams that are bringing bros into their organization. Oh, yeah. Uh, so that was a big one. And someone that can relate to the players that they have in their squad versus yeah. someone owners typically find more assimilation assimilation with themselves. So 
Exactly. Yep. I'm, I'm a Houston fan. I, I got to tell you, I've been telling Malika, Houston, yep. first city, all black head coaches in the major sports. Um, that might be. <laughs> That's true. You did. Bring See, Brandon knows what's going on. Brandon knows what's going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Black city. That's the new black city right there. Yeah. They they gonna make Atlanta uh, flinch a little bit. Like, damn. I don't know what that governor. We ain't going that far. That governor ain't having that. But um, um, I you know one thing I I like to make sure I you know just about almost close out the show with is as you think about the Houston Rockets. Um, what is your, this is my little rewind segment. Um, what is your favorite, um, year and roster all time of the Rockets and why? My favorite year. Okay. So I have two and they're okay. for two very different reasons. Okay. So 95 Houston Rockets. Um, okay. now mind you, I didn't say 94. The reason why I say 95 is because after we won the championship in 94, Everybody, we went into 95 and, you know, we had brought Clyde along halfway through the season and Clyde Drexler halfway through the season and things of that nature. We were, we, we went into the uh, playoffs that year, the sixth seed. Mm -hmm. We went in the sixth seed. This is the year David Robinson won the MVP. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure you've heard the story, Malika, you've heard the story, Brandon, about what Akeem Olajuwon was saying to his teammates before we played the Spurs in the playoffs. Before King went up with, against David Robinson. Share it with because everybody that's. Um, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm about to. I'm about to. <laughs> it's one of my favorite stories. One of my favorite. He told Kenny Smith, he said, Kenny, he has my MVP. Mind you, Akeem had won the MVP the year before. He has my MVP. And if you go back, I would call, I would just ask anybody to go back, look at the 95 playoff series, Houston Rockets and San Antonio, and see what Akeem Olajuwon did to David Robinson. It was the closest make thing. Me watch that playoff series this week. Yeah, it was. It was the closest thing. I watched it, so I watched it like a month ago. Mm -hmm. uh, and before watching it a month ago, I had watched it maybe like two, three years ago. But my understanding of the game has sort of risen a little bit, and the way of Kemo Lajuan, his footwork in the post, his ability to score in so mm -hmm. many different ways. He was so he was ambidextrous with both hands. He could jump off both feet. It was just, the stuff he was doing to David Robinson was criminal. It was criminal. Yeah. It was criminal. And so that see, and obviously we ended up winning, we ended up going on to win the championship after that. Yeah. Uh, so that is probably my first. My second, for completely different reasons, is the 2017-2018 Houston Rockets. Now, this is the Houston Rockets team that had James. We ended up finishing first in, uh, first in the NBA that year. We had 65 wins. We were first overall. Uh, Mike D'Antoni was the coach. James Harden was there. Chris Paul was there. Clint Capella. Oh, that was the Chris Trevor. Paul year. Okay. Yeah, that was the, that was the first Chris Paul year. Mm -hmm. We go up. At this point, we had pretty much gotten owned by Golden State in the playoffs, right? This is the one year. Mind you, this is Golden State with Kevin Durant. Yes. And the reason why I love this team so much, even though we ended up losing game seven at home because we missed 27 straight threes and we only lost that game by single digits. So if we hit half of those threes, we end up going to the finals. Right. But the reason why I love it so much is because that team was the only team that gave the KD Steph Warriors when they were healthy a run. Right. We were up three games mm -hmm. two in that series. 
Yeah. That was the, I, uh, I don't know if you guys seen the clip. That was the playoff series with, step, was, uh, Chris Paul hit the step back three on Stephanie with shimmying in his face. That was the yeah. series. Yeah. Chris okay. Paul gets, yeah, Chris Paul gets hurt. Yeah. And we lose the last two games. Golden State he goes would, on. And, and the thing about when Chris Paul gets hurt is always at the worst. Oh, yeah, so. It, like, it, you're it, right it there. Yeah, yeah. It was painful, Malika. But when I look back on it now, I realize how good our team was. And I realize that because I could be proud in the fact that we really gave that Golden State team with Stephen, KD, Clay Draymond, when they were healthy. I'm yeah. not talking about when they were injured. When they were healthy, we yeah. gave them the best run. We mm -hmm. gave him the best mm -hmm. one, and if Chris Paul's, uh, uh, if he's if he's not hurt, I don't care what mm -hmm. anybody says. We beat them, and we and we win that championship. If we were better than Cleveland. We would have beat Cleveland in the finals. So those are my two favorite Houston Rockets teams. I would okay. say. I okay. appreciate that. I appreciate yeah. you sharing that. Um, because I always like to hear. Okay, do 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 fans of today? know the history of their teams and mm -hmm. so i'm always curious of what year especially if the team has won a championship in a previous era you know like whether you know people will mention that so mm -hmm. yeah. I, I thank you for mentioning 95 i love hakeem he's one of my favorite players all time absolutely um so i appreciate that brandon anything you want to throw in here before we hey, close out? i think a game changer for the houston rockets what's considered to be the best draft of all time, 1984. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, easy. We already had Ralph Sampson. Uh, Lionel Hollins was on that squad. Yep. Mm -hmm. yep. like, did they go deep? No, but that was the start of an entirely new culture for Houston and it's start of a new era, a start of a right. new identity. That's right. So That's thank right. you so much. Thank you.